How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 97 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke, and today I got that long-awaited interview with uh, R.M. Layton of Locked On Marlins and the upcoming Locked On MLB Prospects podcast. It's dropping its first episode today, so uh, make sure to subscribe to that. He gave me about an hour of his time. I'm, I'm going to trim it down a little bit here and uh, try to make it about 45 minutes or so. Uh, he gave great in- insight into the three A's rookies that are uh, wearing green and gold right now. He gave me some insight into some guys that I'm personally looking forward to and some other guys that he's personally looking for- forward to. So uh, it-, it was a great conversation. I want to play it in its entirety. I'm not doing any of this uh, part one, part two stuff. I'm giving it all to you guys in uh, just one part here. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy all that. Uh, before I throw it to the interview, though, please follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, please feel free to email them to us at LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. Also, if you follow us on Twitter, uh, you already know that I've been doing this, but the Locked On A's account, I've been tweeting along with the games. So if you, you want somebody to watch the game with, I'm here. I got you. So uh, yeah, follow us on Twitter and uh, have some fun. So without further ado, here is the interview with R.M. Layton of the Locked On Marlins and Locked On MLB Prospects uh, podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoy. The audio is a little bit uh, sketchy because we did it on Zoom, and uh, for some reason when I spoke, it did not like it. Luckily, he was uh, very informative and spoke most of the time, so you won't have to worry about the audio stuff and uh, my voice. You're tired of hearing me. So uh, here is R.M. Layton with me basically just asking questions. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy, and uh, I'll be back for ads and, you know, the outro and all that stuff. But here's my talk with Aram Layton of Locked On Marlins and Locked On MLB Prospects. So I am joined by Aram Layton. He is the host of the Locked On Marlins podcast, and, uh, you know, we all have feelings about the Marlins right now. He is also the host of the brand new Locked On MLB Prospects podcast. Uh, Aram, how you doing? Well, on the Marlins side of things, not so great. I can understand the everybody's frustration with the ball club right now, but I'm really excited about MLB, locked on MLB prospects right now because especially with MLB, the MLB season being so rapidly changing, there are some silver linings, right? We're seeing so many debuts of young players. So I'm excited to launch this show and talk about all of the farm systems, including the athletics. And there's a lot to be filled in content-wise, so I'm excited. I saw that the, uh, the the trailer dropped. When is the uh, the actual series of podcasts going to start dropping as well? Yeah, so the first episode will be on Monday. I'm going to start getting into some of the just the top prospects in baseball in general. And then you can expect an interview with uh, a prospect from any farm system every week. So to give away a little spoiler, the first week will be second round pick Griffin Conine from the Toronto Blue Jays who led the Midwest League in home runs last year after getting a 50 game uh, suspension, unfortunately, still was able to lead the league in home runs. And then after that, I will have Nick Gonzalez on from the Pirates. He was the seventh overall pick in this year's draft uh, to talk to me next week after that. So a lot of good interviews coming up and there should be some interesting ones on the way too, including maybe some prospects from the athletics. So keep an eye out for that as well. That sounds very interesting. And I do love prospects in general. So I'm already subscribed and, uh, you know, depending on how it is, I'll give it a five-star review. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. And once once I get the athletics interview in there, uh, I'll tell you I'm working on an upper-level prospect for you guys. So hopefully that'll be enough to warrant a, a five-star rating. 
you're buttering me up and I like that. So uh, welcome to the show. (laughs) (laughs) So got to do what you got to do. I have to ask, what are your thoughts on the Marlins ruining baseball? You touched on a little bit, but you know, I had to get that question in there first. (laughs) Oh, that's a loaded question, but (laughs) um, it's, it's, it's nothing short of disgraceful, to be honest. It's, you know, I wanted to err on the side of, you know, give the guys the benefit of the doubt right now, because before it happened, obviously now they lost that benefit of the doubt. You know, initially there were some rumors about them going out and I said, you know what, you know, let's wait, let's hold on. That's some pretty strong accusations to make. And you know, therefore, it ended up being exactly correct. And it's disgraceful because, yeah, we were talking about all of these negotiations and how much, was, how much time was spent figuring out how much they were going to pay these, these players in this abbreviated season just for the players to throw it all away. And this is something that everybody worked hard on. I'm not going to say the MLB protocol was bulletproof, but it didn't account for players going out to nightclubs or whatever they allegedly did. And that lays on nobody but the Marlins. And I did make some criticisms of the protocol in general. I still think the protocol could be better. But even if you're in a bubble like the NBA, if you have players being as negligent as the Marlins have been allegedly, then you have no way to be able to contain that. And really, I think from now forward, if they decide to move forward with the season, there should be punishments for what happened. And I think the Marlins even now, you can't rule out a punishment for them because of what's happened. And you saw the Marlins second baseman, Eisen Diaz, who's a young prospect trying to bounce back, opt out of the season. And he did not test positive. So you could maybe speculate that, and I don't like to speculate, but he's probably frustrated not only with the situation, but with his teammates. Because imagine you got to take a 17-hour bus ride from Philadelphia home after quarantining in a hotel because your teammates couldn't wait you know, a few months before going out in nightclubs. Look, we all want to go out. We all want to do things. It comes with the territory. But guess what? I'm not getting paid multi-million dollars to not go out. I'm sitting here recording podcasts, trying to make as much money as I can and, and trying to make money any other way I can. And that's the really frustrating part of it is these players had a good opportunity and the Marlins are spoiling it for the rest of the league if this is, all turns out to be true. So on that note, uh, subscribe to the Locked On MLB podcast and get our arms some money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's, let's shift gears a little bit here to the A's. Um, I'm going to just start off with the big three guys that are in the majors right now, but they're all rookies. It looks like Sean Murphy turned a corner offensively between these 2017 and 2018 seasons. Uh, what did he work on, and what do you think his comp is as a big league catcher? Comps with catchers are always very interesting because, you know, a lot of guys, I think that the philosophy of the catcher is always evolving, especially now where we're talking about umpires maybe becoming obsolete, then pitch framing becomes irrelevant. And there's so many other moving parts to it. But Murphy was initially a defensive first guy he is maybe one of the best arms behind the dish as anybody in the league already and he's a really good defensive catcher so you're really were you were riding his glove if you're the Oakland Athletics the fact that he's been able to put together some consistent offensive seasons is really encouraging because now you're just you're looking at a full-time starter and maybe if he can continue to put up these offensive numbers that we saw one of the better you know, tier one type of catchers in the league. Really, it seemed like he finally was able to tap into that consistent power stroke that we saw at times at the lower levels in the minor leagues. He was able to hit for power and high A ball. And then in double A, he was still able to do that a little bit. 2018, 
the power stroke was not quite as consistent, though he was still able to hit for consistent contact. And in, in the major leagues initially, you know, you struggled to see that consistent power, but that wasn't an, a concern for me because, again, we're talking about the catcher with premier defensive skills, and the fact that he's able to hit for average consistently, that is enough already. The power is a bonus. It was a little bit of a wake-up call for him, I think, in 2017 when he went to double A and, you know, was not able to hit the ball as consistently. And I think it was mostly just the fact that he was a little bit overmatched. It's a big jump sometimes in certain leagues to go from high A to double A. And it wasn't like he was overmatched in terms of just being able to make contact. You know, he still only struck out at about the same rate, actually a lower rate than he did in A ball. It was just the fact that he was not quite getting the same launch on the ball. He wasn't quite hitting the ball with as much authority. He was able to sure up that pitch selection a little bit the next year. And it reflected in his walk numbers that went up across the board. It reflected in his strikeout numbers, which went down and naturally the power came into effect too. So this is a guy to me that is a legitimate starter, everyday starter, barring, you know, the catchers like to get the day off in a 162 game season from time to time. But to me, this is, this is one of the better starting catchers potentially in the league in the next couple of years. As for a comp, I, I don't know if I can think of a really accurate comp off the top of my head, just because so many catchers go in and out, but somewhere along the lines of a Jonathan Lucroy uh, before he fell off, that would be the ceiling that he could potentially reach. I don't know if he's going to hit 330 like Lucroy did for one or two years, but this is a guy that could really fit that bill as a good offensive and defensive well-rounded catcher. I mean, I'll, I'll take that for sure. Uh, that, that would be quite lovely. I was like, oh, you know, maybe he's like a Buster Posey with less offense because he's good defensively or, you know, Yadier Molina with more offense. I don't know. He's in there, but those are both very elite uh, catchers. So I was like, oh, who's to say? I'm going to switch over to, you know, I, I like pitching quite a bit. Mechanics, not my thing. So AJ Puck, he's on the injured list right now. He's been dealing with a lot of injuries over the course of since they drafted him. Um, is this just bad luck or is it a combination of his size and mechanics that's leading to all these injuries? You know, the first thing you got to look at is, is mechanics, but it's a six foot six left-hander and you think it naturally, it, it really does look like a more effortless type of you know, motion that he has now. But initially I think he's still paying for some of the damage that he had done earlier on because when he was in college, it was a little bit more of an effort in his delivery at the University of Florida. And that's why you saw the Tommy John surgery. He, he even said himself, you know, I had to clean up my mechanics after the Tommy John surgery. So you wonder now with a shoulder, which is much more alarming than the elbow, which sounds weird, but it's just the way it is nowadays. Tommy John surgery success rates right around 95%. While shoulders, if it's a labrum, can be in the 60% range. And that's where it gets a little bit alarming. So is this something from before? Or is it something that has now happened as a result of the Tommy John surgery? I can't answer that. What I can tell you is the mechanics earlier on were a little bit concerning in the fact that he would pull off, meaning sometimes the arm would lag behind his body. And you'll see that with tall left-handed pitchers because it's really hard for them to repeat their delivery. I've had a couple major league pitching coaches 
uh, that I've had a chance to talk to, they like to compare tall lefties to baby giraffes. If you picture a baby giraffe kind of stumbling all over themselves and falling on all fours, it's, it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but you've, you'll see it time and time again with tall left-handers having some difficulties with repeating their delivery. And with Puck, that seemed to be the, the case of his arm lagging behind. And that's why you'll see a lot of left-handers, if they don't get injured, they have command issues when they're taller guys like Andrew Miller, for example, struggled mightily with the Marlins, goes to the Red Sox, has a pitching coach who specialized with left-handers. He ends up figuring things out. Same thing with Brad Hand. And there's a lot of other guys like that. So you really just hope that Puck's shoulder was something to do with the initial injury with his elbow and tied together. And that improved mechanics will help him come back and stay healthy. But it's definitely a little bit alarming when you start to see the shoulder come into the mix. It's funny that you mentioned baby giraffes because uh, that is legitimately uh, Sean Manaya's Twitter handle is baby giraffe and then his number. So uh, I, I had not gotten that until just now. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I promise I had no idea, but that's great because there's another left-hander and he seems to be having a little bit of trouble repeating his delivery right now too. Yeah, it's second time through the order is not doing him any favors right now. Um, keeping on puck, he's not really pitched much above double A and we've seen him have you know limited success in the major leagues. His walk rate spiked a little bit. Uh, it went up from like two and a half to three and a half. So nothing super concerning. If he kept it there, that'd be great. But his his uh, whip has not been fantastic so far. But if he can stay healthy and, you know, get that experience above double A and, you know, in the majors, obviously, where could you see him be in like three years? Well, it's a great question because really watching Puck at the University of Florida, you can see what all these teams, including the athletics, saw in him. I mean, he's a specimen, a six foot six lefty with solid command his issue with repeating his delivery it doesn't affect his command which is more rare it more just affects the pressure on his arm and that's where things are concerning because if if he can't stay healthy you got to think about starting to preserve him in a bullpen role and I hate to say that with a guy like Puck because I think he has the ceiling to be middle of the rotation starter and be a legitimate middle of the rotation starter for the athletics the problem is the health and that's the concern. I also, you did mention, he almost is too much around the zone. When you talk about the, the walk rate, I you know, don't have any evidence of this, but I could venture to say that it almost might be intentional, the fact that he might just be trying to mix it up a little bit more. Because when you're around the zone too much and you're walking guys at a minuscule 2% rate, hitters are you know, just geared up for strikes. And sometimes it's effective to be a little bit wild. You hear the term effectively wild and that could maybe help puck a little bit because he does have good stuff, but nobody has too good of stuff for major leaguers not to hit them. And you got to mix it up a little bit more. And when puck comes back from injury, you just hope that the velocity doesn't dip too much. And that's the biggest problem. You'll see guys coming back from shoulder injuries versus Tommy John, where the velocity doesn't get affected as much. So we want to see how he's able to, manipulate the breaking ball and if the fastball velocity stays there then I'd like to see him make more pitchers pitches rather than living around the zone which you know may have been some of somewhat of a compensation for worrying about his command a little bit I mean I, I've been talking about him going to the bullpen just to keep him healthy for 
since I started the podcast in January. So uh, I, I think that he'd be a great weapon out of there, like, you know, Josh Hader, Brad Hand, uh, Andrew Miller, one of those types of guys. And uh, that would give them a little bit of depth because Chris Bassett can handle it in the rotation just fine. And if you add Huck into the bullpen and you can keep him on the field, that makes the team better, I think, as opposed to having to miss, you know, months at a time trying to be in the rotation. So that might be somewhere where they're going to go if uh, if he makes a return this year, he's probably going to the bullpen. We'll see if that's a long-term sol- solution as well. Um, all right, we got another lefty, another big lefty rookie. I know you know him. I think you know him. Uh, we got Jesus Lazardo. And there, we don't need to talk much about how good he is or anything like that. So what I want from you is just a prediction for his first major league start that's coming on Tuesday. Oh, I'm a big Lazardo fan. I did – actually play a couple tournaments with him. He was on my ball club for my summer team. So I got to see him up close and personal and uh, playing with him. He's just a focused kid and really just polished on the mound. I could have told you, even in his bad outings, you'd feel like he did well because he's just was able to battle even when he didn't have his best stuff. And now you talk about him as a professional and going back even before that, when he was at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in Parkland, Florida, he would have been a first round pick had he not had Tommy John surgery in his senior year of high school. It was expected that he was going to go to the University of Miami and you know get better there and then just show the type of pitcher that he was. But he got an opportunity where the athletics or not the athletics actually was the nationals, you know, gave him an offer he couldn't refuse and he signed for well over the slot bonus in the third round. And he proved him right. Ultimately, the athletics capitalized and were able to trade a reliever for him. And it looks like it's going to be a great deal because this is a left-handed pitcher who comes back from Tommy John surgery and has looked fantastic through the minor leagues, climbed quickly. He's polished. He has a fastball that can reach triple digits. And you know his arsenal, of course. It's just incredible what he's capable of. Again, another guy where it's just about staying healthy. I think in his debut, he has the ability to – pick up 10 plus strikeouts if he's really on but I think they probably won't stretch him out too much I could see a five six inning outing I would be shocked if he doesn't punch out at least five because he's just able to command the zone while still using his stuff to really just keep hitters off balance and then you mix in a southpaw with a triple digits fastball it's just you don't find that and this is a guy that to me could be an ace no doubt in my mind again it's just all about the health because he is only six feet tall 220 pounds and it's really important for him to keep those mechanics shirt up too so far so good it seems like he's been able to stay a little bit healthy now after having some shoulder discomfort to me this is a guy you build your rotation around and he could be good for the foreseeable future would you change your prediction if I told you it was against the Texas Rangers and they're uh, one of the worst offenses in baseball? Well, I, I think even more strikeouts. A guy <laughs> like Joey Gallo should strike out three times against a pitcher like Lazardo. So I, I think he could go six, six innings, eight Ks, no problem. And uh, if, if you know Vegas is putting odds doubting Lazardo, I would put my money there too because – this is a guy that's been waiting for his opportunity to be in the starting rotation. He is dazzled in every position out of the bullpen. And the fact that he, that the athletics were willing to go to him in that wild card game last year speaks volumes as to how confident they are in his composure and his polish at just the age of 22. You got me very excited for Tuesday and, you know, uh, 
Thank you for that, I, I suppose. Um, we got more coming with Arm here in just a minute. We're going to talk about Robert Poisson. You got Lazarito. You got Austin Beck and some other guys that are standing out to him. So uh, stay tuned for that. But first, we got this coming for you. Hey, it's me again. And if you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner when you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. But I kind of love them even more right now because I can get food delivered without even leaving the house or even opening the door. Given what's going on in the world, they created non-contact deliveries, so now when I order food from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates Pickup, which I have been using to order takeout food from my favorite local restaurants. If you like Schipolini's, that's my thing. That's what I order. I like pizza. Anyways, listen up, you guys. You need to be supporting your local neighborhood spots right now, and I've been ordering local because it's a great way to support my community. And Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it off right outside my door. Just download the Postmates app on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get everything you want delivered within an hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. All right, and we are back with Arm. He is the host of the Locked on Marlins podcast. Make sure to subscribe to that if you hate baseball. And it, we also have the, uh, the new MLB Prospects podcast that's coming out. He is the host of that. First episode drops today, Monday. So make sure to check that out. He has interviews with players coming up. He's going to talk to some A's guys, he told me. Uh, he didn't tell me who, though, so I'm also in the dark on that. But uh, give them a rating and a review. Subscribe to that podcast. It sounds like it's going to be great. And if you listen to the first half of this podcast, you know that he's got the information. So uh, it, it's going to be worthwhile for sure. And maybe it'll help you with your fantasy teams. Who's to say? Um, all right. So I really want to start with Robert Poisson. I know literally nothing about him other than he signed with the A's and then he hasn't played since and that he's supposed to be very, very good. Enlighten me. I have no idea where to go with that. <laughs> Well, that's that's the beauty in this. Though why I'm so excited to host the podcast too is because it's really hard to find out some of these kids from the DR. You know, you you hear a little bit about this guy that you should be excited about, and you click on him on MLB Pipeline, and you see born in 2002, and you're like, what? <laughs> so <laughs> those are the things that I, I'm I'm happy to be able to fill in the the blanks on that and. You know, I don't even know too much. I'm not going to sit here and act like I watched him play day in and day out. But from the people that have seen him play that I've talked to, from the video that I've seen, he's obviously a long ways away from the major leagues. But the fact that he is a switch hitter, and it's no joke, he signed for $5.1 million. I mean, the athletics don't do that very often unless they really like somebody. And he was looked at as probably the best prospect from the DR and maybe the best international free agent for a reason. He's already six foot three and he's 18 years old, not even yet. He's still filling out. So we, that's the challenge is you don't know how much power some of these guys are going to develop. But the fact that I like his swing from both sides of the plate, it's a, it, it looks good from both sides. It's a good feel for the barrel that I really like to see from a young switch hitter. Sometimes you'll see from some of these younger switch hitters that they'll have a hole in their swing on one of the sides or the other. And he's very consistent from both sides, very repeatable. If he builds muscle to me, 
this is a guy that could be a five-tool type of player. We'll see if he can continue to have that above-average speed as he puts on weight because, again, he is six foot three. But when you have a switch-hitting shortstop that could be big and hit for a little bit of power and even run you know, at an average rate, this is a type of player that you could build your farm system around because the, the thing we were talking about off the air is the athletics – do have a relatively older farm system and they need more young guys like Robert Poisson. I hope we're saying his name right. Honestly, I have not heard the pronouncers of him yet, but from everything I've read and everything I've talked to, it's always been typed. So we're guessing here, but from what I've seen of him, I really am excited to get a full season and really be able to see how much he fills out because these are the types of players you don't see him for a couple months he comes back and all of a sudden he gained 15 pounds and he's hitting bombs so you want to keep an eye on him but for me a guy that can have above average power hit for decent average from both sides of the plate and five tool potential is not out of reach and could be the type of prospect that you get very excited about unfortunately we're gonna have to wait another year to, to see what he's capable of do you think that he has the potential to stick at shortstop or is he like just a little bit of a growth spurt away from having to move to a different position like third or left field or something like that? Well, that's a great question because his what I've seen defensively, he moves really well. His footwork is great. He seems to have that type of instinct for the position, which is I, I'm a believer in the advanced statistics. I'm a believer in a lot of things, but sometimes with the, especially at shortstop, I'm a big believer in the eye test and to, he passes the eye test at shortstop. He's quick twitch. He work, he moves really well to both his left, his right, and he's got a good arm. The only concern is if he continues to get bigger, like you said, if he gets, if he goes a few more inches, you, I don't know if there's ever been a six foot five, six foot six <laughs> shortstop in baseball history. I don't think he'll put on more than, another inch so six foot four even at shortstops pushing it so it really depends if he can be the type of freak athlete that's that tall and can still be mobile but the fact that he's a switch hitter and that his glove isn't his calling card so to say because of the fact that he can hit from both sides and does have an advanced feel for the barrel there's a chance he has to move to you know the outfield or maybe third base but right now I'm still keeping him at shortstop and betting on the fact that he can stay there he might just have to, you know, stay slim down and keep working on the footwork. But right now, it looks like he's a shortstop. I mean, I'll take it. Uh, they don't have a solution necessarily at shortstop right now uh, for when Marcus Semien leaves. I know that he's not going to be ready next season, but uh, you know, it's something to, to look forward to. And also, if we're saying that right, Robert Boston, I like that last name. That's great. Uh, anything with a P-U-A, I'm I'm on board. I don't know why. Um, so, anyways, we got. Lazarito as the next guy. He is the other A's international signee. He's been in the system for a couple of years now. Uh, he strikes out a whole bunch. Is that something that he can fix? Or is this, is he just going to stall out in like high A, double A and, uh, you know, not make it to the majors? Can he fix this and make it to the majors and have an impact? Well, there's a few different schools of thought because you can definitely see what the athletics saw in this kid because he is a specimen and he has the ability to hit the ball just as far as anybody. He's a really athletic build. He's got plenty of power, but you hit the nail on the head. You know, the, the strikeouts are just off the charts. 17 home runs in a ball is a 20 year old is great. But when you're striking out almost at a 40% rate, that's, 
pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It's pretty scary. But it, it's not like he has this normal approach and just seems overmatched. Really, the issues lie in his swing, and it's pretty blatant. He has just so much movement to his swing. And if you really want to look it up, if you haven't seen him hit, it's a huge leg kick, but it's the leg kick is preceded by a toe tap. And both individually, historically, are difficult timing mechanisms. You see very few hitters have success with a high leg kick. There are plenty that do have success with it, but if you took a percentage of how many players eliminated their leg kick after having strikeout issues, majority of them actually improve their ability to have consistent contact, right? But the leg kick is usually to either a habit created at a young age or something that a player created to try to generate more power. Lazarito does not need to generate more power. He's naturally going to be able to hit for power whether he has that leg kick or not. And what it seems like right now is that leg kick Hang, his leg hangs up for so long there that by the time he's getting it down and ready to hit, he is the ball's already coming on him, and you don't really have a chance to to see the ball well and have a chance to really you know hit. It's that simple. I, I talked to Griffin Conine, and which the interview will be out next week, and he used to have a leg kick, and he said, "I never realized that I was never actually seeing the ball until now. I was guessing." And for some players, it works. You see Justin Turner, and he's able to have that big leg kick and still hit the ball. But for some other people, it really is the hindrance in their ability to hit. And if you look up some video on YouTube right now, you'll see how he's lunging at the ball because of the fact that he's just his timing is so off with so much movement. And if he simplifies things, I really think this is a guy that could turn out to be a legitimate prospect and continue to rise up the system. But if he continues to just go out there with the same approach, with that huge leg kick, I don't think that the strikeouts are going to cut down much more because it's so much harder to pick up the breaking balls when you have your leg hanging in the air like that and you're trying to time everything up. There's just so much room for air or so much area for you to make a mistake versus trying to time everything up perfectly. So we'll see if he makes some adjustments. That's one of the good things about having this time off is you got a lot of time to work on things and try to change things up. Somebody else that's probably going to be making some adjustments this winter or, or you know, in whatever time we have in this offseason is uh, Austin Beck. He had a down year in 2019, and his stock seems to have fallen. MLB Pipeline has him at, like, number 17 or 19 in the A system, and he was just drafted as the number six overall pick in 2017. Uh, why is everybody so down on him all of a sudden? He had been pretty decent up until then, um, and then he just kind of struggled a little bit in Stockton. Is there any redeemable uh, qualities about him, or did he fall off the face of the, uh, the pipeline earth? Yeah, well, this is a much different case to, personally because when you look at Lazaro, he needs to make some very tangible adjustments to his approach. He has some issues with his swing, as I just talked about. With Austin Beck – this is just a guy that has not had a chance to really get his ABs in, even dating back to high school. He gets hurt his senior season. He still gets an opportunity to sign because the athletics were betting on his just pure athleticism and the power that he has the potential to boast at the plate. And he looked good out of the gate. But with some players, they hit that learning curve in short season. Some of them, it gets really hard in high A. It's different for everybody, but when you're a player out of high school, you always have to account for your prospects to have that type of learning curve 
where they're going to struggle. And fortunately for Beck, he didn't struggle in low A. He was pretty solid. You would have liked to see some more power out of him, but you're not going to be particular of a 19-year-old who didn't even play his senior season in high school that much and missed the summer circuit, which is your big opportunity to really try to, you know, get some at-bats against better types of pitching. He goes to Stockton after having a decent year in low A, and he struggled. You, you, you mentioned it. Well, why are we counting a guy out that has a limited track record and limited experience but has all the tools? And you mentioned how a lot of other places and prospect analysts are counting him out, but I would, I would look at Baseball America. Take a look at Baseball America's take on him because that's where I seem to agree with the outlook on Austin Beck, and they have him fifth, which I do think is a little bit – too high I'd get him in the six to seven range maybe maybe even eight in terms of the athletics top prospects but that's where he should be he should be in the top 10 because I'm not going to be making too much out of an 85 game stretch in high a for a player that had just turned 20 years old and only played 160 professional games we have yet to see what Austin Beck is really capable of, which is a good thing because there could be a total breakout. And we've seen this before the jump into high a, a lot of times younger players will struggle. Then when they come back the next season, they really hit their stride. And this could have been a great opportunity. Another guy who really suffers from not being able to come back quickly and play this year. But I'm not concerned to a ridiculous degree about Beck. Should he come out next year? and be slow out of the gate in the first half, then we can talk about this. But I think people have been way too quick to count out Austin Beck. And as you pointed out off the air, he's been one to remind people that he feels that way too on Twitter. Yeah, he's been really fired up on Twitter, and I am ready for the Austin Beck show uh, in a very big way. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, As people know, I think, uh, the, the MLB draft happened in June. Of the A's five picks, who stood out to you as, you know, a Billy Bean pick or a pick that's really going to make their impression with the A's in the coming years? That's a fun question because Soderstrom off the top is a classic Billy Bean pick too because I don't know if he sticks behind the plate. That's a little bit of the question with Soderstrom, but his hitting ability is just off the charts and they don't really need him to stick behind the plate. But the typical Billy Bean guy is Michael Goldberg from Georgia Tech. He doesn't boast a single trait that's really off the charts other than his ability to walk and his ability to get on base and put the bat on the ball. He does not have even really above average power. He has a limited track record, did not play in the Cape. But at Georgia Tech, pretty consistent numbers, put the bat on the ball, a well-off-the-charts walk rate, and he just gets on base. And you probably hear it just tired out at this point from athletics and the athletics realm of just money ball baseball because I know Billy Bean has adjusted over the years, but this just seems to be a type of guy that's his bread and butter in Goldberg because he is just such a classic make the pitcher work, get on base, and be effective and play some good defense while you're at it. And I think Soderstrom does the same thing. The athletics were a little bit different than the rest of the league in terms of how they approached the draft this year. But I do like that they went with a higher ceiling guy in Soderstrom in the first round with a little bit more risk. 
and then were able to go back to their roots and play it safe with Goldberg in the third round. I mean, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, anybody that makes the major leagues is a uh, a big thing for me. And Soderstrom would probably be playing first if he uh, if he switches off, or would he be playing third? Or where where else did he play? I remember looking this up at some point, and now it escapes me. Oh, it's a really good question because I don't even know if Tyler Soderstrom could totally answer that. You know, they have had him anywhere from corner outfield to first base. Third base would be ideal, just because. You would love to have that type of hitting production at a, a corner position and first base. We've seen with the athletics, they just seem to pull out like good hitting first baseman out of nowhere all the time. <laughs> and that just seems to be the athletics way. If you can get him to play third base, obviously you got Matt Chapman there for the foreseeable future, but it just increases his value. If I were to put my money on it, I would put him in a corner outfield position or first base. If he could do either or, that's something that's incredibly valuable too. He is athletic and he's versatile, but I'm not going to count him out a catcher yet either. We're not, again, this is a high schooler. Let's give him a chance. Let's see what he can do. The thing with the athletics is they don't really need him to be a catcher because not only is Sean Murphy good, I think Jonah Heim, if I'm saying that right, but I'm a big fan of Jonah Heim because he looks like another type of catcher like Murphy that really started to figure it out offensively though he's not as good Heim is not as good as Murphy defensively you got two offensive minded catchers all of a sudden even though Murphy is so good behind the dish that Heim might even be a trade piece at this point with the fact that Murphy's already a better defensive catcher typically your backup catcher is going to be the better defensive guy but I think Heim is a major league catcher as well and I think uh, Hyam is a switch hitter and Murphy's a righty. And then they got Austin Allen, who's a lefty. They have so many guys they can catch right now. It's a little bit ridiculous. They have, I, I really enjoy the depth. And if uh, they have to use all three, because, you know, Murphy's have some, uh, some injury issues as well, then uh, they, they've got the guys to do it. And, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing all of them in some capacity, whether it's with the A's or other, or other places. Of the A's minor league pitchers that are, you know, knocking on the door, who is the guy that stands out to you as the next man up for the rotation? We got like Mengden as, you know, a rotation-esque piece, but he can be relegated to the bullpen. Uh, who's the next big prospect on the, uh, the pitching side that's going to make an impact for the A's in the rotation? Well, there's two different schools of thought here because there's the easy answer that could be Dalton Jeffries, who – has been consistent throughout his professional career and I would have liked to have seen him be a little bit more effective in double a not that he was bad by any stretch he was the whip was right around 1.09 and he was able to punch out 72 and 64 innings uh, I just would have liked to have seen him make more starts he of 21 outings he only made 12 starts and I don't know what the athletics see in the future with him the fact that he only was making about half of his appearances as starts is a little bit concerning. I don't know what they were, uh, what the plan is or what the double A rotation, whether that was just the way they wanted things to go. But Dalton Jeffries to me is, is a back at the rotation type of starter. That's his, he's a high floor type of starter. That's going to pitch to contact, get outs and be pretty effective. He doesn't walk many batters. He only walked seven in 64 innings, but in terms of the opponent batting average hovering around the 260 range, it's not terrible. But if he wants to be a major league pitcher, probably need to see him miss bats a little bit more. 
if I want to take a higher ceiling type of guy, James Caprellian is pretty forgotten about and understandably because of the fact that he is always hurt. But Caprellian's pitch ability is not the question. It's his ability to stay healthy. And that seems to be the trend throughout the athletic system is high ceiling pitchers that really their only question is, can they stay healthy? Caprellian finally was consistently healthy in 2019. And he went from a ball where he was all right, but he was kind of shaking off the rust. Then he goes to double A, was lights out, held opponents to a 186 batting average. The whip was below one. And then he goes to the PCL, which is hitting heaven. He only threw four innings out there, but he was effective in those four innings. I think that the only question with Caprellian is the health. He is a major league pitcher. And if he can stay healthy, he's a major league starter. It's just, are you willing to risk that and try and stretch him out as a starter? So far in the minor leagues, last year, the majority of his outings were starts. They didn't try and stretch him out too far. But let's see if he can build up to it. He is already 26 years old. But if he can stay healthy, this was a guy that was a first-round pick for a reason. He went 16th overall to the Yankees in 2015. He's 6'3", 225, and is really effective with, with three different pitches. Solid command. This is a three- or four-starter, no problem. And I really am high on him. I would just really hope that he can stay healthy because A.J. Puck, Jesus Lazardo are two of my favorite left-handers in all of baseball in terms of prospects. And Caprellian has long been a right-hander that I was really excited about, even dating back to the Yankees. I thought that was a haul for Sonny Gray. Let's just hope that he can stay healthy because his pitch ability is undeniable. He's really the only person uh, holding that Sonny Gray trade together right now. So uh, we're, we have high hopes. Um, yeah. So you've done a great job enlightening me and hopefully everybody else that listens to this uh, about this, the A's prospects. Is there anybody else that you want to talk about before uh, we, we close this thing out? Well, there's uh, a, two quick guys I'll touch on. I, I'll keep with the UF trend, the University of Florida trend on this athletic system because somebody – that I think has been a little bit discounted, understandably, because he was such a freak athlete and the Padres had drafted him, were pretty high on him out of the University of Florida, and then he gets traded over to the Athletics more recently. But Buddy Reed, he's 25 years old. He really struggles to make consistent contact, and that I don't think is something that he'll ever really do very well. But Buddy Reed is a freak athlete, plus runner, almost plus-plus runner with a cannon for an arm in the outfield can hit for a little bit of power. And at the very least, you're looking at a plus defender. So you've got a fourth outfielder in Buddy Reed, and we're talking about the number 24 prospect in your system right now. Now, this is somebody that when you get to the 20s, you're just hoping that a lot of those guys, especially if they're already a little bit older as Buddy Reed is, you're just hoping they're going to be major leaguers. Buddy Reed's a major leaguer. He, he hit 228 only in double A, but he still hit 14 home runs, drove in 50, and he stole 23 bags. If you can play premier defense out there and be a fourth outfielder that can switch hit, hit for a little bit of power, swipe some bags, and play potentially gold glove caliber defense, Buddy Reed's a fourth outfielder, and if I'm getting that out of my 24th prospect in a pretty solid system, I'm happy with that. One other of the high ceiling guys – that I'm eager to watch is Marcus Smith because Marcus Smith came from the Midwest, not the best baseball competition for a high school. So it's hard to compare and hard to really see the track record, 
But another plus runner, really good athlete, put up crazy numbers in Kansas City in high school. And his debut in pro ball, people were nervous about the lack of track record. He was fantastic, albeit it was only 97 at-bats in a you know, lower-level minor league short-season opportunity. But he hits 361 with an OPS over 900, and he's a freak athlete. I'd like to see him get a little bit more into his legs with his swing. Sometimes he tends to be to drift towards the ball and he tends to wave at it a little bit because in high school you can just hit the ball on the ground and count on your legs. And also the pitching was not too great in high school and he was able to just get that bat on the ball and be effective. He did a good job of that in the lower level minor league debut, but this is a 19 year old who already has that advanced approach. Really excited to see what he can do. Again, just want to see him get more into his legs, be able to sink more into that back leg and see how much power he can eke out. Because right now, MLB Pipeline only slaps a 40 grade power on him, but it's a little bit harsh when we don't know what he's capable of. And the fact that he was able to walk at a 17% rate, I'm excited to see what this kid can do. I got to follow up on Buddy Reed. I was all about him during spring training 1.0. Uh, I, I think that he'd be a great fourth outfielder, especially with the the new uh, runner on second extra inning rule. That would be uh, – that's carved out for him. I, I love it. Um, would you liken him to like a Manny Margot where he's kind of light hitting and you're hoping for better, but, you know, you'll take what you can get kind of thing? Or does he have like not quite Byron Buxton potential, but is he – where is he in that range of Margot to Buxton? That's a great question. I actually really like that question. And I would say right in the middle because Margot has shown you, I, I was really just, I said, I tweeted this the other day. Margot is one of those players you say has potential until he's 30 years old. I had just always been high on Margot. And unfortunately I was, I was one of the prospects I was wrong on because I just kept waiting for him. And I wouldn't say wrong. He's still a major league contributor, but I think that buddy Reed has the ability to hit for more power. He's going to impact the the baseball just at a different level, whereas Margot's a very light hitter trying to just put the bat on the ball and use his speed. Buxton has the chance, if he can ever stay healthy, to be a legitimate starting outfielder that is in your lineup every day. Buddy Reed has that power that Buxton can boast at times, which gives him a little bit more of a ceiling than Margot, and he has that speed. He has the defensive ability. I think if you have an injury in your lineup, I am more than comfortable with wheeling Buddy Reed out there because if, if he can hit 220 even and play premier defense, you know he's going to run into some baseballs and he is going to wreak havoc on the base paths. There's a lot of value out of Buddy Reed. And in the off chance that he's able to click and figure it out at the plate to even hit 250, 260, now you're looking at, Maybe, and this is a lottery ticket type of scenario, but now you've got a legitimate starting outfielder. I want to see what he can do. I hope the athletics give him a chance to do, to, to do something, assuming the season continues to go, because I, I would say he's right between that Manny Margot and Byron Buxton range, which is right between a third and fourth outfielder. Now, I, I like, am very excited to see what Buddy Reed can do. I think that he could be a difference maker in the playoffs. You, you throw him out there to just wreak havoc on the bases for one game, that's one extra game. It, he can do some things that would be uh, very beneficial to these because they don't have a ton of speed. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's it for me. Thank you to Aram on this one. Um, he is the host of the Locked on Marlins podcast. He is also the host of the upcoming MLB Prospects 
uh, podcast. Make sure that you follow him on both of those and uh, go ahead and plug your socials, man. Yeah, absolutely. So at Wait Nate, I'll be updating you on that account as to who I might be interviewing. But if you really want to keep up with the prospect schedule, it's at LO underscore MLB prospects. And in the coming days, I will have a schedule together and you can see some interviews that will be coming up, some farm system previews. I'm excited to go deep into the athletic system. We'll have some writers on to talk about some prospects as well. So a lot of cool interviews ahead and maybe even some athletics prospects on the horizon as I teased earlier. So thanks again for the opportunity. Love to talk every farm system. The athletics have a pretty exciting one with some guys knocking on the door. I'm excited to start listening to these podcasts. So uh, Monday, I know what I'm doing. Uh, just drop all of them like like a season of cereal. That'd be great. Uh, just all at once. And the- <laughs> it's an op- it's an option at this point because especially <laughs> if we don't have baseball, I might just start rattling off farm systems left and right. I might be getting into the uh, athletics sixteen uh, year old in the Dominican summer league that nobody has heard of because I that's that's what I love to do. So uh, stay tuned and thanks for the interest and uh, thank you for the opportunity. No worries. I am here for it. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Anytime.